was raised in a Hispanic Catholic church. And yes, the distinction of it being Hispanic is very important. We were a lively bunch of people. I remember preparing for my first communion. At the end of our CCD class, we had to do our first confession with a priest before we could take our communion. I remember sitting silently in front of this larger-than-life, robed, white-haired man for what felt like 20 minutes. I didn't say a word. I knew that I could not be honest with this guy. So rather than confess my real sins, I lied. Surely my sins were far too much for him to handle, and it would be better for the both of us if I fabricated some mid-level sin. I wonder how many times since then I haven't trusted who I am and what I know to be true. How have you ever felt like you aren't worth trusting too? In our text, the Israelites are about to obey Moses and Aaron's commands to slay a lamb as an offering and plate blood over the entrances of their doors. But what's more impressive than that is that in our scene, Moses and Aaron trust what they heard from God. They move past the discomfort of their uncertainties and lean into what their intuition is telling them, that God has a righteous passion for justice. God will execute God's judgment, even if that means something must die or fall away. In this story, both oppression and the justice of God collide against one another to where they could never exist on the same plane. So often, God's message is not heard through reason. The Western world, or better said, Countries made up of primarily white people who center men have created a theology that we must reason our way to God. That our emotions are fickle and our logical mind is superior. This has turned into a difficulty in being able to truly lean into your intuition when you actually don't trust what it's telling you. I'm convinced that trusting your intuition feels more like jumping into swampy waters than it does a clear pathway. Until you realize that the ground underneath is more sure and solid than you could have ever imagined. And there is where you find an assurance that you are in line with the will of God. I thought I'd quickly address the part that says, the Israelites should eat the lamb with their loins girded, their crocs on, and their staff in their hand. It's a weird scripture. And then they had to eat the lamb with herbs and unleavened bread. Some Jewish commentaries say that this posture would have shown the confidence the Israelites had in God's assistance and what they were about to embark on. That the herbs represent the exile which embittered the Israelites' lives. That the unleavened bread was like the suddenness of the exodus, which did not allow their dough to rise in enough time. 
The fact that God passed over their houses was a major element of redemption. As we move into what's probably the most problematic aspect of the text, we find it aligns with the injustice that we see in our world. This injustice, human intuition knows to be evil, but it's eclipsed by pride and self-interest so that our intuition is clouded. God says that God will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn, giving the justification that God is Lord. First, how accurate of a text to mention death and brutality as we see it in our world. How confusing and frightening of a text to say that God and God alone was the executor of such death. And while I can't give you a justification that I feel good about as to why God would kill people, even when those people are oppressing others, I know that it is in God alone, that it is God and God alone that intertwines mercy and justice. When the Israelites fled from Egyptian bondage, they were breaking the law. They knew that what was legal was not right. In these moments, we are led to act in certain ways because our intuition tells us that what has been codified is not of God. This reminds me of the Reparations Task Force I've been able to collaborate on for the summer, which will carry on throughout the year at Middle. Middle Church has deep ties with the displacement, enslavement, and abuse of people. And this has been permissible for hundreds of years. And we certainly know it's not moral. We found a letter written by the first Dutch Reformed Church minister in New Amsterdam in 1628. He writes about Anglo enslaved women who he viciously stole from their land to clean his house and take care of his children, to which they proudly refused. We find this record written by a white racist man and we find uh, the survival stories of these women and their strategies of triumph. Slavery was legal, but they would not accept it as moral. This minister also goes on to speak ill of the indigenous people he encountered. His job was to force the Lenape people to convert to Christianity, but they brilliantly evaded this. They refused to teach the Europeans their full language. Instead, they taught them a special elementary level of their words and their hand signals. This way, they could freely speak in front of white people and not be understood. They saw white supremacy was normalized, but it would not be accepted as moral. The Israelites obeyed God in the twilight. They took the sacrificed lamb's blood and put it on the entrance of their homes. And God delivered on its protection. You see, human instinct is real, and God's spirit is real. 
And contrary to what feels to be true, I don't believe that our hearts are always, or even most times, in tension with the will of God. Your emotions matter, and it is holy to embrace your autonomy and lean into what you think and what you feel is right. The author of the Book of Romans says, the consciousness of the Gentiles bears witness. This inner judge of our deeds implies a standard to a law in which the Gentiles are held accountable, which meant that they're responsible if they ignored where God was leading them. And we hold that same responsibility. We are responsible for the people we did not intend to mistreat. We are responsible, as the Egyptians were, to heed the many warnings of God. We know because the God inside of us has told us. You see, the law in our hearts knows what love looks like because we bear the image of God. And we are a repository for the Holy Spirit. God guides us to know what's trustworthy. The good news is, Jesus also found himself in positions where he couldn't trust his intuition. Although he knew he was going to heaven, it was hard for him to leave earth. And although he felt God's absence, he knew that God's presence could be found somewhere. You see, God would not have endowed us with reason if he didn't want us to use it. Emotions are our most finely tuned responses, and they come far before our logic or reasoning skills ever could, even as we feel more in control believing that we can train ourselves to be perfectly reasonable. God would not have gifted us with finely tuned emotional responses if they didn't tell us something valuable about the situations that we're in. And if God didn't want us to heed their warnings or follow them. Know that as you begin to give weight to your inner leanings, there is a freedom that can only be found in God. Some of the residue of the freezing and rationalizing that I experienced as an eight-year-old in front of that priest occasionally returns. It happens when I'm in front of someone that I revere, or I feel the need to be pleasing, or prove myself, or like I have to be perfect. But that story that I told myself that day, that I wasn't enough, or that I was too flawed, prevented me from receiving the grace that God had for me. And feeding that narrative is not just neutral, it's harmful. For the Israelites, it would have meant losing a beloved part of their inheritance. For us, it would mean risking our freedom and creativity in a way that causes us pain.